Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Evening, all, and welcome to episode eight of the Anfield Index Legends Pod. Tonight, we're going to talk all things Mr. James Lee Duncan Carragher, aka Jamie Carragher. And to talk about him, I have two awesome guests. One is from AI Desi, just AI in general, makes me laugh. Mr. Horinda Singh, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. And my other guest, who does AI Movie Night, It's fantastic. I've been on the show. Mr. Joe Simpson, how are you? Oh, thanks for that, mate. Uh, I'm great. Really looking forward to talking about Carragher. Absolutely adore him and uh, love your show and looking forward to chatting with you both. Good, good. Sounds good. So let's start. Um, Jamie Carragher, as we all know, spent his whole career at Liverpool, but grew up an Everton fan and I believe he even started his youth career in an Everton fan. Um, Joe, talk to me about that, because that's, when you're in the city of Liverpool, you're either red or blue. And from that accent, I know where you're from. So talk to me about <laughs> Cara's love for Everton, but playing his whole career at Liverpool. Yeah, it's it's strange. I, th- I think it, similar things have happened before. I know that, like, uh, Farlow is an Evertonian, uh, Mach Manaman. And obviously, I, d- I don't know as much about them in terms of, you know, the, you know how basically the way Carragher, to, more than them, is really associated with this passion for Everton. I think his dad was uh, was a really passionate Everton fan as well. So, And I think it was a very blue family, you know, home and away games and just, you know, hardcore fan. And I think... I could be wrong here, but I'm fairly sure he started at Liverpool, if I understand correctly. But during his spell at Liverpool, he was still an Everton fan. And then for one year while he was a youth, he actually went to Everton, spent a year there, and then came back because he missed it. So he's had like an interesting journey, really, that, you know, he's been at both clubs. Even while he was at Liverpool, I think. There's a funny story about when he was in the reserves. He um, 
our reserves team were vying at the top of the table for the reserves league and we needed Everton to lose to help us win and I think Everton got the result and it came through on the radio and he shouted up about it like yeah Skerrin or something like that and apparently Ronnie Moran went who the fucking hell was that you know not what he was expecting to such news and apparently then the next day or a couple of days later a couple of the staff got him in to actually discuss and say you know, you're getting to the age now where you really need to become a fully-fledged Liverpool player. We've got hopes for you to be a first-team player. You need to let some of that go. And I think he let some of it go there, but from what I understand, I think when he got more and more into being a, a Liverpool fan rather than Everton fan was, um, I think, he, he, where he used to go drinking... I think he said one time we'd lost the game and I don't think it involved Everton and he got a fair bit of stick in the pub and I think he was like, you know, I'm one of you. I can't believe, you know, you're putting the club thing above that and I think that sort of made him become more of a Liverpool fan and obviously his dad became a Liverpool fan and now you you, you, you couldn't meet a bigger Liverpool fan now by all accounts. So it's funny how he's had that He's, he's changed so much. Yeah, it's it's that's a weird thing because usually when you you know you're sport when you're a sports fan you tend to stick with who you root for as a child and I, I know it's different when you're a, you're a big time player like Carragher was but Harunda how do how do you see that do you do you see any I don't know um, betrayal to Everton because a lot of his family members were blue nose. I don't know because. If you read his autobiography, he's very, 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 very candid about his whole Everton history. Um, I think it's like the second or third chapter in. And with the whole childhood love, I mean, it's quite straightforward. I mean, he was nicknamed Sharpie of all people, after Graham Sharp, uh, as by Kenny Dalglish, because he came to the Vernon Sangster, which is uh, an old leisure centre that used to be just around the corner from Liverpool Football Club, where he used to his trade playing in uh, youth teams and youth five aside. Joe's already covered the whole aspect of him giving notice to Anfield at one point and going over to where he thought the grass was going to be greener at Everton and then he realised that it wasn't greener uh, their setup wasn't anything in comparison to Liverpool's and his dad had a bit of a chat with Highway and back he came and in regards to his turning, in regards to um, the Everton football base he's been quite on the point in regards to it, because he said, you know, Everton base had chosen vitriol against the likes of Gerard. Everton singing about Heisel, player of fan abuse, had just literally turned his whole relationship with Everton completely sour. And ultimately, that of his dad too. And his own words in this were that, you know, when you get hurt by those that you're closest to, or perhaps when you see your best mates unjustly under attack, there's no way back. That's quite true. You think about your own personal relationships. Um, if you get very close to somebody or you have a close member of the family and there's an element of betrayal or there is um, something that happens that causes friction between yourselves, it's never quite the same. It's never quite the same. And sometimes when people cross the mark and it cuts to the bone, then you know in your heart of hearts there's no way back. And I, I get that. I can understand where where Jamie's coming from in regards to that. So it's no surprise that he left the blue and white shite and became a member of the red and white cop. 
Yeah, it's uh, obviously everybody here is happy that he did. He ended up being a fantastic defender, although I know he, he gets a lot of Sometimes he gets a lot of flack now from different fans, and I think that's more newer fans who maybe don't understand his style of play and think everybody can pass out of the back, and that's just not the way it works. But So he started as an attacking midfielder in his early days, which is crazy to think of now, and I think he played striker as a child, but I'm not 100% sure. But he breaks into the Liverpool 11 as a fullback. Again, some people may not know that. Maybe other people do. Talk to me about that, Harinda. Oh, it's an interesting one. So, Roy Evans gave him his first start way back when in Premiership. So, that was in Middlesbrough. And we lost, which is not really great. But he came on for Rob Jones. Rob Jones obviously was a left-back at that point in time. And he remained a left-back, really, especially under the Julio reign. And we can't say it was a bad thing because he did quite well there. It's under Rafa that he became a centre-back. And I suppose that's more to do with his maturing than anything else. If you think about our centre-backs at that point in time, we had a really good relationship going between Hupia and Honcho. So he was never really going to dislodge those two at centre-back, right? Logically, it just was never going to happen. It's as time went on, as he became a stronger player and as he became a more vocal player in the Liverpool setup, his maturity comes along in that centre-back position. So he then so he sits next to Hupia in regards to forging a partnership that was even better than the one that existed prior to it in regards to Hansho and um, Hupia. And he's iconic to me as a centre-back. Even though I've seen that change in him, even though I know that I've lived that change with him because of my time of supporting Liverpool Football Club, to me, his final position at Liverpool is the one that I'll always remember him for in regards to being a centre-back. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I, as an American, I didn't start supporting Liverpool till. Around 1997, which you guys would laugh at because of where you're from, and you know it's 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 a funny thing. Cause, but I remember his basic whole career, just like I remember all of Gerrard's. And Joe, how was how do you feel about that? Starting as a fullback, uh, Rafa moving him to centre back. Not many, maybe a lot of managers wouldn't think about doing that, or they didn't see that. But that's why there's world class managers, and that's why there's just shit managers. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, it, it was interesting, really. I mean, interesting for a number of reasons. Like Harinda said, obviously, he first started to develop under Hule largely as a full-back, playing on the right and on the left. And I think at times, because obviously it was an era where full-backs were, uh, to some extent, they've always been expected to do more than just defend, but particularly that that was the start of the era. I can remember as a fan where a lot of people wanted the full-backs to be a lot more uh, 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 capable of attacking as well as defending, and obviously his game was more defensively based. You know, obviously, not that he wasn't capable of some some good passing and things like that, but he's, he's never what you would expect an overlapping fullback to be he's never good that's never going to be his main strength so we actually at times you know uh, occasionally there's a debate about local players and English players and stuff and at times there might be some truth in them getting a favourable deal from the fans but there were times when Carragher got a fair bit of stick as a fullback because I think some saw him as maybe more limited and things like that don't get me wrong throughout that period he was always a very very dependable defender and very reliable and you know 
obviously that that team did a hell of a lot of good things and you know helped us particularly in Europe start to get some of our reputation back but like you say despite him being a good player in them full back roles and and basically filling in wherever uh, aside from that filling in wherever needed it was when he he, he went to centre back under Rafa that he really blossomed and I think most people, some may have recognised it, but most people, certainly including myself, that's when we realised just how good he would he could be and a potential he had. And I think I remember reading that from Phil Thompson. I think that Julier was worried he he, he maybe make too many mistakes in centre half, but position. But I think Rafa came in and from day one. He loved Carragher, he loved his aggression, he loved his intelligence, his, his desire to learn, and I think they really hit it off. I think Rafa had him watching videos of Berezi playing for Sahis Milan and things like that, and wants them to be a really aggressive front foot defender and use that organisational ability he had. And I think, although Rafa wasn't one for a lot of praise, I think Carragher really responded to that extra responsibility he was given by Rafa and just continued to develop. I think Rafa himself said one of the great things about Carragher was every year he'd come back and he'd be that little bit better in a variety of ways. And I think that's a, a testimony to his desire to develop and continue improving. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing because Jamie Carragher, like I'm from Philadelphia and we have a history if anybody knows anything about um, Philadelphia, and you may not, and that's okay, but we have a history of um, passion. And he reminds me of a typical Philadelphian, and that's why I clung to him right away. His leadership was, I mean, he's just, I miss that style of leadership. I like the guy who's going to yell at the other guy. Yeah, I love, yeah. I miss that. I want a guy who's going to call a guy out. I have no mm-hmm. problem with it. If he's doing something wrong, I want him to get yelled at because I want, I want to see how the other player responds. Mm-hmm. And that's always what I've been brought up in sports. So his career at LLC is obviously outstanding. I want to talk about his trophies one, what kind of player he was, his playing style. But I'm going to give you guys a little twist here, too, because I want you to give me your top five. And it can be in your lifetime or it could be before that of your top five LFC defenders. And, Joe, I'll let you start. You can start with his career. You can start whatever you want. And I know it's a tough question to put you on the spot, but mm-hmm. Americans are big on lists. So that's why I'm giving <laughs> this to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that is a very, very tough one. Um, straight from the outset, I have to say, a lot of the players were before my time from our golden age. So some of the ones I will miss out would just be because not only were they before I could have seen them play, but... Uh, quite frankly, I just won't have heard as much about them or read as much about them. So I have to be upfront with that from the outset. Um, so in terms of, firstly, I'll say, I suppose I'll go back and say, as a player, I think Jamie Carragher was a player, probably his greatest attribute, I would say, was his intelligence. A really intelligent footballer was really good at solving problems on the pitch in terms of, you know, dealing with a, a striker's movement or whatever gifts they've got. If they were strong, he'd know how to handle them. If they were quick, obviously, I know people will say he had he had the odd game against Henri where it all went wrong. But I think 
A, it's Henri, just a genius, and B, a lot of that was just because Carragher is someone who who will try to solve hard problems. He will get in, put himself in harm's way to try and solve things because he's so proactive. And sometimes against a player like that, that'll go wrong. But I don't think it's any accident that the likes of Drogba has classed him as the hardest centre-back he faced in England and things like that. I think, you know, top players recognise top players and obviously various other people within the game, including the likes of Hansen, have praised him. So I think that intelligence combined with, like you said, that aggression, that natural aggression, I think we we often miss, you know, we're too nice as a team. And he, he had, the, you know, the great Liverpool teams of the old days, they were always fighting and training and things because they all had that win, will to win. And they were all such strong characters. And I think we've lost a bit of that. But Carragher had it. And that's why he would have bust-ups on the pitch. Obviously, famously, the Arbolo one and things like that. No malice. It's just someone who wants to win, trying to ensure the team wins. And the good thing about that type of thing with the likes of Arbolo or whoever else is, generally speaking, people respond. And I think that helps the whole team lift them because you're bringing that fighting character out of the others who may be more naturally shyer. But when they're faced with someone like that, you will see their own will to win, bite back. And I think that can only help the team then because they all they all want the same thing and they all know they've got to be on it or someone will be moaning. So that was another thing is aggression. And I suppose linked to both of those, just that desire to improve. You know, he was a voracious reader about football and watcher of football. And I think with Hule and, and especially Rafa, that was such a perfect fit because these were two managers who recognised that in him and basically gave him everything, all the conditions in terms of providing them with those videos or them reference points or of the, the great teams. Obviously, Rafa's Valencia side were phenomenal defensively and the Milan side, as I mentioned earlier. And I just think that helped them to flourish. And then finally, just that, and again, linked to all of those, he was just a really good organiser and a leader. And I think if you put all those things together, you've got one hell of a defender. Now to answer the, your curveball about the, the five best Liverpool centre-backs, obviously, as I said before, a lot of this is based on just watching brief videos and reading about them. So I'm biased because of the ones that I grew up hearing about as like legends and heroes. So, Probably firstly, it's going to have to be Hansen and Lawrenson in one and two. Okay. And then after that, a controversial, I'd probably put Carragher after that. I'd probably put Carragher next for me. I, I, obviously, I'm on this podcast. It's no secret I adore him. I think he played in a generally in a team that was nowhere near as good as the teams they played in and still, along with his colleagues, helped us to you know, two Champions League finals and, you know, one of those Champions League finals, he was in a team that shouldn't have been anywhere near a final. I think he was a major part in getting us there. And then after them three, eh, probably Hippier in fourth place, I absolutely adore Sammy. And then again, before my time, but just on reputation and 
what he meant to the club, I'd probably put Ron Yates in fifth. But as I say, I must confess, that's largely on things I've read and his reputation. Okay, no, I, I like I, I give you credit, you answered it. Um, <laughs> same thing to you, Horenda. I don't think I could eulogise more in regards to Cara, so I'm not going to try and repeat what Joe Simpson has stated because that would be disingenuous somewhat. I think it's just a glowing tri- tribute, really, in regards to all the characteristics that's made Cara, Cara. In regards to where he is in the top list of defenders ever, well, let's put it this way. He's got, what, near 730-odd, 740-odd appearances for Liverpool. He's topped only by Ian Callaghan, who's got 850-odd. Steven Gerrard is third with 700-and-something. So nobody in the top five is going to beat the top three. Below that, below Cara, is, is going to come close because they don't exist. So for him to have lasted that long, that long at Liverpool, then clearly there is something special about him. Now... Over my time, because I'm old, a little bit older than Joe, um, my era is the same as his, almost, in regards to Alan Hansen, Mark Lawrence, and, and moving on from there. So, for me, personally, Alan Hansen is probably number one, because I dreamed when I was a little kid of players like Hansen. You know, just so composed, so slick, had everything, you know, just super smooth. I know sometimes Match of the Day used to take the piss out of him by bringing up some of the old clips of Hansen mistakes, but they were few and far between. He was a rock in the back for us. So Hansen will always be my number one. But number two would 100% be Jamie Carragher, followed by the likes of Hupia, followed by the likes of Honcho. And, and you know what? Someone who doesn't get a lot of praise, this will shock you. My number five isn't the one that everyone would think that it should be, but it's the one that means the most to me, which would be Gary Ablett. Wow. I thought you were were going to say Daniel. Well, no, I was thinking about Skirtle, but I thought, you know what, I didn't want to get thrown (laughs) off the pod. (laughs) But yeah, um, Gary Ablett, just because it's, again, that period of transition and when he came in and how he was. There was always something about him. He had a swagger that I really, really enjoyed. And he was someone who was extremely patient because he came through the ranks. He he made his position. You know, it wasn't just something that, you know, you go and buy somebody and they're expecting to play straight away. He was someone who was bought in and he then, he did the hard work. You know, so credit where credit's due. And unfortunately, his demise, he's passed away now. But Gary Ablett would definitely be in my top five. So that's my five. Now, Cara himself would always be unique. Because when you think about those names that I've just mentioned, only one of those will you still have ringing in your head when this podcast is over. And it's going to be Kara's voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I, I just think a lot of times with a lot of, again, younger fans and even fans, I'm, I'm going to be 36 soon. Um, I think you gentlemen are older than me. Um, but I, I just think that he gets kind of overshadowed by Gerard too much and he doesn't get the credit for how good he was and the type of leader he was the type of player he was take everything oh, really? else let's take you know take the he's a good pundit but take that out of it he Steven Gerrard is a Liverpool legend but so is Jamie Carragher and it's just he does she just just overshadowed all the time and again I know he opens his mouth and 
people don't like that, but you know, he, he is who he is and he's not going to change and you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, so I want to talk about players who played at one club because you just rarely see it anymore. And Jamie Carragher did. So for me, that means a lot. You know, I'm, loyalty goes a long way with me and it may, with most people it does. So Harinda, tell me how you feel about him spending his whole career with one team. Um, I think we've all established that some of us on this podcast are old. When I say <laughs> we're not, we're not old as in like you know what Zimmer frame old. But in regards to the youth of today, there's a four in the beginning of my age, so that makes me old straight away. Um, it's an old school way that probably only old school would probably really truly understand. You don't really do the dirty on the ones that you love. We wouldn't change support. We wouldn't dream that our heroes would ever depart. And he stayed the distance. You know, and that might be a bit of a cliche, given the fact that you're from Philadelphia, and there might be a bit of a, a little bit of rocky hair in the sense that he may have been there for one round too many. But look, Jamie Carragher took the punches and then gave the blows in equal measure. He stood to be counted, and he has been, and therefore he will forever be a legend of Liverpool Football Club. Nobody can take that away from him. So I respect that. I respect that he maintained himself as a one, um, a one club player, and. Some people may turn around and be really blasé and flippant and say, well, he didn't have the ability or he didn't have the um, options to go elsewhere. We don't know that. We don't know that. Just because it doesn't come out in the press, we don't know whether he had any options or not. But credit where credit's due, he was a centre-back made a steal and he was somebody that you didn't want to be on the wrong side of. Just ask Lucas Neal. <laughs> if you've ever read if you ever read Carol's autobiography yeah, people will get that reference straight away just go and ask Lucas Neal you know what I'd have a Carragher in my team and the cop sings about him we all dream of a team of Carragers not that many other defenders get that kind of accolade in the song where they get songs about sung about them yeah that's that's actually right in his bar in New York if you guys uh, ever get a chance to go it's got a lot of really cool memorabilia um Maybe not as obviously as cool as Anfield's, but the bar is cool. It's a good place to watch a game. And um, Joe, how do you how do you feel? I mean, we had you had a lot. Yeah, guys like Totti, Maldini, and again, maybe he's not in that class. And you know, the one's different position. I understand that, but again, I just don't think that Jamie Carragher gets all the credit he deserves. And like Horinda said, we we don't know if he could have moved. You know, nobody actually knows that. There's always just BS rumors, which is basically football. So how do you feel about that and being a one-club player? Yeah, um, I I agree. He doesn't get enough credit. I think it's certain. I I have no doubt he could have moved a player of that caliber. No doubt whatsoever. Uh, Would he want to move? Well, obviously, the things he achieved, but at a very high level, so there's only a few clubs that could tempt you away from that. You know, he, he did achieve a lot at Liverpool, in particular some of the things in the Champions League. So I've got no doubt he could have moved if he wanted to. Um, I definitely get the impression that a lot of people, and particularly players and things and managers abroad, rate him higher than maybe some of the people in England. I think sometimes in England it's very easy to sort of judge on things like international appearances and things. And I think sometimes that's a bit harsh on Carragher because 
he did so much at club level. It's not, you know, there's more than just the international game to judge a player on. But equally, um, whilst I'm going to give him a lot of credit, I think, as you touched on earlier on, sometimes, you know, I, I love him on and off the pitch. I, I make no bones about that. Um, doesn't mean I agree with absolutely everything he says or the way he says it, but I think it's hard in one breath to praise someone for being that type of leader, for being a strong character, for saying what he thinks on the pitch and things like that, and then expecting to be a pundit and and be particularly different. I think it's no coincidence that the likes of him, Graham Souness, Roy Keane, they're some of the few pundits who actually say what they think. They're not overly worried about upsetting people and I think that makes for a better pundit whether you agree with what they say or not at least they are saying something whereas a lot of pundits for me don't say anything but the reason I'm bringing that up in in reference to that question just to take it back is I give him a lot of credit for the time he stayed at the club the incredible amount of games obviously to play that number of games I'm sure he pushed himself through the pain barrier sometimes I know some players can't do that for, for very good reasons, but obviously he knew what his body could take and was able to do that. But I think what I'm trying to say here really is that he admitted himself. That again, that to me, what is refreshing honesty, I think he has said in the past, if he'd have been out of the team for any significantly long spell, he would have looked to move on. And I admire his honesty in that because he's a competitor and he wants to play. And I wouldn't think any less of any player who desires to move on if they're not in the team long enough. So whilst obviously I give him a lot of credit for being a one-club man, a lot of it is because he was so good and he was so willing to learn and develop that he was able to stay in the team no matter how high the team rose and no matter how good it rose. And I think by 2008... It was an outstanding team and he was one of the key players in that team for me. So a large part of it is loyalty, but a large part of it is also just because he was able to earn that place in the side. Yeah, and you said a really smart thing about the pundit thing. At least he gives an opinion. The worst Mm -hmm. thing you can be is just a puppet who just spews the same old crap. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of that in America with the same people and it's you know you stop watching it because you know what you're going to get. Well, both Carragher, you don't, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's why one another reason why I love him so much. So, mm-hmm. obviously, he, he was there for Liverpool player for 17 years. That's a long time. So, you guys have had to have favorite moments, favorite games. Joe, I'll stay with you. You tell mm-hmm. me any favorite moment, any favorite game of his, anything that stands out for you during his playing career. Yeah, it's... I hate to be obvious, but sometimes you've just got to be obvious. And it's that that first Champions League semi-final against Chelsea. You know, we were up against a side that, you know, have been built with hundreds of millions under a great manager, quality, not just right throughout the side, but right throughout the squad. And we had a team that, in so many respects, you know, did have quality and obviously we had our own world-class manager but we definitely weren't fighting fire with fire we were were massive massive underdogs in terms of just weighing up the talent now obviously the fans did play a part 
but as much as I credit the fans that they're not on the pitch, they can only help the players who are on the pitch. And I don't know, I, I don't know whether it's hard to convey. I don't obviously I know when you got into following Liverpool was ninety six and it might be different for different people of different ages, but growing up as a Liverpool fan, I personally felt because of the way football was changing and various other things before the sort of Julie and Rafa era, I thought that we would never be in a European Cup final ever again, or at least for a long, 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 long time. So to be that close and for then the team, but in particular for me, Carragher to produce a, a performance like that, I think Johnson or someone said it was like he'd been cloned. He was everywhere. He was he was magnificent, and you know there were some great players in that Chelsea team, the likes of Drogba and Lampard, and he was just he, he was so so good. And you know we really needed an outstanding defensive performance, and he was at the heart of it. And I just can't praise him enough for that. And then linked to that, obviously, is then the final. Now, obviously, we went three 0 down. Not down to Carragher, in my opinion. It was more down to, I think, Rafa of Gamble, thinking, obviously, the talent mismatch between the teams. I think Rafa just thought our only chance is to shock them. So he, he had the midfield a little light without a man, a little defensively light, and he played cool. And, obviously, Kaká run riot with the space he had. But then it, it's very easy to forget. We just think of that fight back. But we couldn't concede that for that fight back. It was vital we did not concede because we'd gone, our legs had gone, and again he was magnificent. He he he, he had cramp, he, you know, and he was fighting through it, and he was just. And this is against you know that team. You look at it now, and it's like, you know, a lot of the players could be genuinely could be intention for all time elevens, you know, and. We were spent with a much inferior side and he was just outstanding. So I think they'd be my two main favourite games of Carragher's. You know, there's so, so many. Obviously, as Harinda said, he's, he's played a phenomenal number of games for us and deserves great credit for that. Another thing, though, off the pitch, I've got to mention just a moment I loved was when Sky um, were interviewing him and said something about bigger teams or bigger clubs. What if bigger clubs came in for you or something like that? And I love that sort of fight he's got and this is my team. And he just straight away shot back, I'm not having that. Who's bigger than Liverpool? And it was so refreshing to have a player do that. Normally players will give the stock answer or they'll avoid answering. But he just it was his team and he saw it that we were being you know, downgraded or at least condescended to. And he had our back. And that was just another character moment I love. But there's so many, so, so many. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of talented, talented players who could learn a lot from just Jamie Carragher's just his experience, his playing career. There's so many talented players who are not willing to put forth what Carragher did. Like you talked about how he would play injured. You couldn't carry that man off the pitch. He just wanted to yeah. stay on, and he would go through anything. And you know that again, that kind of spirit goes a lot way with me. So, Miranda, what about you? It's not the obvious one for me. I mean, let's face it. This is the person who turned Didi Hamann Scouse 
Yeah, there's also a person who squirted up to Roy Keane <laughs> in two. I remember this because I remember the match so vividly. 2 0. We hadn't beat United for a while. And we beat them at home in the 2000 2001 season. Two goals. And he squares up to Roy Keane. Not obviously, not that many people squared up to Roy Keane, but yet Cara right there in his face mm-hmm. going, okay, let's do this. But for me, carrying on with that United tradition is when he makes Nanny cry. <laughs> You cannot beat that 2011 feeling. So it's 2010-2011 season. Yeah, it was the 2010-2011 season because it was Kenny come back. That moment where he gashes Nanny fantastically and you have Nanny crying. And then him and Rooney are joking about it. What's on with him? You ain't going to believe this, but he's crying. And then Kara starts laughing. The ultimate yeah. humiliation for any player <laughs> is crying on the pitch when you're injured. Oh, and yeah. if you think about the kind of testosterone that must go through Jamie Carragher in a football match I can understand why he must have been pissing himself laughing so hard seeing a professional footballer like Nanny bawling his eyes out at being injured people have broken their legs on pitches people have had uh, career ending injuries on pitches and they put their head in their hands but I can't recall somebody crying but I can recall Nanny crying and he's just a vision right look Jamie Carragher is at Liverpool who are our biggest rivals in the Premier League? Everton from a local perspective, United from probably a league perspective and overall in regards to needle and what it means to beat them. So doing that to one of their players and then seeing that from one of their players, you've just got to sit there and think, Fergie must have sat there and thought, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> really? really? Oh, f- no, 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 don't do that. And then our Bob sitting there absolutely in hysterics hysterics uh, i just think that's the best one for me there are many others where he's won things where he's done things where um he's put his heart on the line again and again and again and again and again they're heroic last minute defending with cramp in regards to the champions league final there'll be other moments as well that he may not want to savor but people have possibly laughed at but this one this one tips it for me it's always going to be the nanny gash He's got a lot, Jamie. No, I, that's, a, that's a great one because that's not even – that's hysterical that it's the first thing that pops into your head. And I actually forgot about it until you mentioned it. But you're right. That is the ultimate – like you don't cry when you're playing sports. Like that's, that's what it's like just, three, it's just, three, just four year rule, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you know what? In the Olympics, you cry or the World Championships, you cry if you get injured before you make it to the finish line. That sure. I get because of all the emotion and the amount of years of training that you must yeah. do to reach that pinnacle and something bad happening to it. Case in point, Derek Redmond, British athlete, and his father helps him across the line because he pulls up with a really bad hamstring injury before finishing the race. That kind of stuff I get. Not being able to cross the marathon, um, the finishing line in a marathon, I get that because there's lots of sweat, lots of toil, lots of emotion that goes into that one race in your life where you're trying to achieve something. Totally get that. Football match where everyone's hard. You know what? It's not it's nothing about even being sexy. I don't know what we had to explain this. Do you know what? You just don't cry on a football field unless something tragic has happened. You got gashed. It's not that bad. You weren't out. It wasn't a career-ending injury. You just don't go there. You just don't go there. But it just proved how much of an absolute tit Nanny was to me. So, Jamie Carragher doing that to another player is beautiful. Just happened to be a mank. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the best part about it. He was a mank. So, 
Before we get to our quiz, I, I feel I wasn't going to talk about it, but I feel like I should. Um, we should probably have a quick word about his England career. Uh, I myself, I don't care about England's national team because I'm American. That's no offense. They have had great players over the years and uh, not quite sure why they never put it together. But Joe, how was he in his England career? I mean, he had 38 appearances, I believe, for the senior. And I know he had about 31 more for the, the U-20s and 21s. But how was he? For, uh, how, how good of a player was he for, for England? Um, I think I think a lot of the, I don't think he ever had a run of games as far as I can recall, um, which is the first thing I'd say. I don't. I think he always did all right. Sometimes did better than all right, but I think it's very easy to sort of judge these things if you were to just look at say his international record from a book or something and. That that actually played. He played more times than I realised, to be honest. But he was up against John Terry and Rio Ferdinand, and at other times the likes of Sol Campbell. You know, you could argue that was a golden age for English centre halves. Those three players are, you know, they they to some they for their clubs they they're all vying to be in their clubs all time eleven. I would think to some extent they're they're all top top players. You know real class and then you had the likes of Ledley King and Jonathan Woodgate at different periods there was a a lot of very very good centre-halves and I think if you can't dislodge the two main ones I think the Carragher to some extent for well you know I'm I'm playing in Champions League finals I'm playing against the best teams in the world you into Milan's, your Real Madrid's, and you know, going to all these to, you know legendary stadiums, and at times, you know, keeping clean sheets or amazing performances against some of the best strikers in the world. And I think he thought, in the end, it's not worth just being, you know, an occasional sub or whatever. If I'm not going to start, I think he could have been extremely good for England, but it's no disgrace to be behind some of those centre-halves. So I think he was just unfortunate that he was born in an era where England centre-halves were so good. I've got no doubt if he was born in another era, like, for example, recent years, he would have a lot more caps and would be a lot, you know, would get a lot more praise nationally than maybe he did during his time with us for that reason. What about you, Horinda? How do you remember his career? Um, I think it was epitomised by him taking out Adrian, Dur- Adrian Durham on live radio, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> How can you... Me- you can't mention his England career and not bring up the whole Adrian Durham affair. For many people who may not understand who Adrian Durham is, he is a, I would suppose, needling kind of talk shite, which is known as talk sport in the UK. <laughs> I wouldn't say reporter, I would, journalist is like presenter. There you go, we'll call him presenter. And even then, that's me, you know, being hard pushed to give him an adjective that's worth anything. So he's a presenter on talk show. And he once called Jamie Carragher a bottler. Now, one thing you can't do is go and call somebody like Jamie Carragher a coward, for want of a better word. That's what a bottler means, a coward. 
And Riley, Jamie Carragher heard it, called him up on the radio station, live radio, national radio, thousands of people listening, and, and called Dame Adrian Durham out on it. And he raised a really good point in that um, conversation, which is the fact that at the time you had Steve McLaren, a.k.a. Wally with a brolly, um, as manager of England at the time. And he was, and this is a guy who was picking Ledley King. So, you know, super croc who couldn't train, would only play matches and was managed match to match almost as the central defender. And whenever he was, whenever he was kind of put into the England team, it was usually as a fullback. So you were never getting the best version of Carragher. You weren't getting the club version of Carragher. You were getting a version of Carragher that he hadn't played since what, 2004, 2005. What's the point of that? You know, and this person had the gall to then call Jamie Carragher a bottler um, for his country when Carragher decided to retire. You know, I think that epitomises what what I suppose he thought of the England football setup and of the team at that point in time. Um, I think Joe's right. You know, there were many, many defenders that were centre-backs and, and put ahead of him, the likes of Terry, the likes of Woodgate, the likes of um, Ferdinand and co. And again, I agree with Joe. I, I think Carragher would have held his own, if not done better than those guys. Because if he had the same blood, spirit and enthusiasm as he had for Liverpool, then do you not think that would emanate into his national team? I think it would. More so than the likes of um, Woodgate and King, in my opinion. So, Yeah, it's, it's I, I, never understood, I never understood how England could have all those individual talent and just not win anything. It, it, that, maybe that's for a whole other pod. Somebody smarter than me can uh, figure that one out. But well, Someone who gives a shit about England. Well, I, I know Liverpool <laughs> definitely don't. And I understand uh, they're the Queen's team, or what do they call them? Uh, FC London is what I've heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, all some other stuff, too. So now we're going to get on to the quiz. Um, some of these may be easy for you guys. I hope they're not. I like to do this in every show. Uh, whoever wants to answer first, just blurt it out. doesn't matter. Or you can work as a team. I'm cool with it either way. So first question. Got to be Who? a team. Can I just say it's got to be a team because I will get embarrassed and I'm awful at this type of thing. I'm so not going to off, Joe. No, no, that's okay. I'm not sure. I think I, I, some of these I try to make really hard, and then some of them I'm like, eh, well, you know, let, let's let's make them answerable. So I think I made these answerable. Um, first question. We'll be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's easy for me with the answers in front of me, of course. <laughs> so whom did Jamie Carragher say was the best player he ever played against? Henri? Yeah, Thierry Henri. What a I'm, not, I'm not sure which one. Was that Joe that said that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, that's, uh, Henri was a fan. I actually did a Legends podcast on him a few times ago. So, <laughs> second question. Harinda, you had mentioned earlier he made his first team debut against Middlesbrough. He replaced Rob Jones. But what was the name of that cup? Oh, League Cup. What was the name of it? Wavington. Worthington, was yeah. It? That point in time, no. Oh, not Worthington. No, at uh, least according to my knowledge, you, you can keep guessing, or let me know when you want the answer. Carling. No, no. Carling. No, it wouldn't be Carling at that point in time. Carling, Milk Cup, Rumbelow's Cup, Budweiser. You had, uh, you know, Worthington. Oh. Who else was? Oh. I've always just called it the League Cup, no matter who sponsored it. I, I, I knew that. Well, to be fair, it was the Milk Cup <laughs> yeah. where it really mattered. Yeah. Yes. It was actually the Coca-Cola Cup. Oh, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so 
But you're right. I guess from your guys' perspective, you wouldn't call it that, <laughs> which I understand. Um, here's a. I think this is an easier one. Which FA Cup final did he score a known goal? Oh, West Ham, West 2006. Ham. Yeah, yeah, as we all know, how that ended with Gerard and the and it went on. We won on penalties. So Gerard's <laughs> still an amazing hit. My man could just unleash some cannons, couldn't he? Oh yeah. Uh, what team did Jamie Carragher make his England debut against? Total guess, Argentina. No, I thought this was very hard. All right, man. I genuinely have no idea. Um, you, got, you want to guess? You want me to give it to you? No clues, Joe. It was hungry. Uh, so it's hard to give clues for hungry. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little difficult. <laughs> They're not really a world powerhouse right now. But that's who we, <laughs> That was his uh, debut team. So the next is, uh, these are two two-part questions. So the first one, Jamie Carragher scored five total goals in his Liverpool career. Who was his debut goal against, and what year was it? Villa, 97, was it? Yeah, 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 dead on. And the second part of that is, who was the last goal against, team, and year? Oh, Oh, this is controversial. This is controversial. Liverpool say it's Middlesbrough. Yes, it is Middlesbrough. But the Premier League say that Pogatet scored an own goal. (laughs) Son of a bitch. So yeah, it's it is Mills. That's called homework. That is, and I thought, you know what? Quiz questions <laughs> that could come up. When did Jamie Carragher's first goal? When did he score his last goal? Yeah, so they think, all right, you know, I want to go on odds here. I did not. That's the only reason I know the Pogatets bit. But yeah, it's uh, Middlesbrough. Yeah, 2008. So that is the conclusion of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it, and I appreciate you both coming on. But before you leave. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, um, the most recent uh, AI movie night was uh, I had a lot of fun talking about coming to America with Harinder Singh, obviously who, who everyone listening will know well, and also with uh, Joseph Cousins, and we just had a great time talking about that uh, Eddie Murphy classic. Hopefully, in the near future, I'll be doing a Matrix podcast. That should be set up fairly soon, hopefully. And if anyone would like to listen, it's on the Anfield Index website or the Anfield Index app. Or you can follow me at Joe Simpson 79 on Twitter, where obviously I will tweet out the links to any pods. Thanks for that, Joe. Yeah, no problem. How about you, Harinda? Um, I'd echo the same because I'm on the same pod <laughs> about coming to America. It is good. It is a great laugh. If you enjoyed the film, you definitely enjoy the pod. Um, a shout out that I'd like to give is someone who's going for the Orwell Prize today. So the Orwell Prize is a literary prize given for the mo- um, a, a political book, so to speak. And a good friend of one of our old podcasts around Hillsborough, a guy called Adrian Tempany, is up for the prize for his book called And the Sun Shines Now. He's a Hillsborough survivor. He is Liverpoolian at heart. Doesn't live there anymore, though, but I'm hoping he wins. So it's a shout out to him. And if you haven't read his book and the sun shines now, I would say you should definitely read it. It's a very, 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 very eye opening book. Cool. And I will, I am a testament to that pod was awesome. Coming to America was fantastic. It's a fantastic move. And you guys did it really good justice because sometimes um, as an American and you were three Brits, I thought you, it was perfect, actually. So I'm happy that that came off oh, that way. Because sometimes 
with movies and you know you never know what you're going to get but again joe your your show is awesome and and i will say this too and not just because you're on her into ai desi um does not get nearly the credit it deserves. It's such an underrated <laughs> pod. And I'm not, I've told you, you can ask Gags this too. I told him this weeks ago. It's an underrated pod, and I don't know how many people listen to it, but it's hysterical. It, it just needs a glossary. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll give you a real quick funny story. It's how me and one of my neighbors got start talking. I had it blasting in my backyard because I have speakers out back, and he's a new guy to the development. Doesn't speak the greatest English, but had heard the words that you guys talked and came over. And now every time you guys record one, him and I listen to it together. So, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that he's, is really awesome. He's a cool guy, and it's a great family, and it's a great icebreaker if anybody needs one. So, um, for <laughs> yeah, me, usually if I'm listening to it, I make sure my daughter has headphones on. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, no question. And for me. Um, Gags and I just did a Friends podcast. I have uh, possibly another Legends this Saturday. And a special shout-out for me goes to Guy Drinkle, who does record these pods, a lot of them for me, or has done at least two. Um, doesn't get the kind of credit he deserves. So he's on every fucking pod, but he also records them as well. So for me, Joe, Harinda, and Guy, thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.